Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today, Chip Frederick joins me. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball. Chip appears on the guest line, which is presented by our friends at Bowling Branch. That was started by Scott and Missy Tannen, who are Vanderbilt graduates. You've heard me rave about Bowling Branch sheets for years and for good reason. Try them for yourself. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY. Get $50 off your first set of sheets. You can send it back after 30 days, but you're not going to want to. Trust me on this. I've slept on these for, I think, six or seven years now. As soon as I go and sleep on other sheets, whether it's a hotel, a friend's house, wherever I'm staying, I notice the difference, and I can't wait to get back home and sleep on those again. So they are 100% organic cotton. They are rain-fed. These things make a difference. Again, don't take my word for it. Try them yourselves, and you will be thrilled that you did. A Nashville-based injury law firm, Sutherland & Belk, is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, there's tons of news as we speak. Vanderbilt has fired women's basketball coach Stephanie White after five years and says it will embark on a national search for a new coach now. The Commodores on the men's basketball end got two huge commitments on Wednesday night. Those two players, Noah Shelby and Lee Dort, they are high school teammates out of Green Hill School in Addison, Texas. Dort rated the number 26 player in the class of 2022. He's a 6'10", 240-pound senior. And Shelby, the point guard on that team, they list him at 6'2", 160 does rivals. The Commodores also start a three-game baseball series with Georgia starting At 6 Central at Hawkins Field on Thursday night, you can see that game on the SEC Network. Chip Frederick joins me on Thursday morning, the eve of the Vanderbilt-Georgia series. Chip, Vanderbilt just steaming along with three losses at this point of the season. I think most pick as the number one team in the country. And what else do you say at this point? Man, just steamrolling right now. Things are going well for this team. And although, you know, the UT Martin game midweek was not one that I think uh, watching the post game, you know, I think it was, you know, this reality. Teams are going to come for you in the midweek, the way the UT Martin approached the game with throwing some weekend guys. And that's fine. Hey, it's a baseball game. You're trying to win. And, and it was pretty unique. A couple teams have done that in the past. Uh, but not recently. But, you know, it's 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 a win, and they continue to steamroll during the week. Uh, God goodness, what is their, their – the streak dates back maybe a year and a half uh, to games uh, in the midweek. and Yeah, 23 uh, now, I believe. Right. I, I think the last midweek loss was they lost that game to Austin P in 2019 in February or early March, I think. I remember I was I was listening or watching that game, and then I walked over to Memorial for a basketball game. So I know it was still basketball season, but I don't remember the date. Yeah, and, and just, uh, you know, uh, they uh, UT Martin is, is a formidable team. They played decent schedule, and they came in here and tried to win a game. And then and just how this team has – has maintained their composure through it where you could have some distractions throughout. You know, you look at this weekend, you got a Georgia team coming in who has not won an SEC series thus far. Uh, and, you know, the, the thought is that 
a lot of this forward thinking of the next weekend, the Tennessee series is going to be one that's uh, paramount and one that UT obviously is going to be gunning for. But I think this team's disposition as far as not looking ahead and playing for the moment, uh, playing for themselves and, and, and enjoying the camaraderie, being around each other, I think is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't look for that to be a factor, but some exciting times coming around. I mean, goodness, this team is nationally ranked in most of the polls at number one. Got some teams, uh, got some kids still um, playing lights out and getting player of the week honors and things like that. So nothing really negative to talk about. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some holes potentially that, you know, if you really want to get obsessive about it as far as the third starter and those things, and, and I'm sure we'll get into that, uh, which for the first time I've noticed, Chris, they, it's a TBA. Um, I don't know if that's basically telling you that it's going, unless you know anything different, that it's going to be someone different but um that's the first time i've seen that on the press release on the game three starter yeah i have heard there may be some shake-ups i, I did not know that until you said it i'd heard that there might be a shake-up in the number three starter and, and frankly the number four two i'm hearing and, and i think that'll be ethan smith laboki maybe patrick riley or the three guys i felt that Again, I mean, they've done an A-plus job, right? So any any criticisms are in the, the 1% of whatever. But I have had some issues with the way they've used Ethan Smith and Sam Laboki. I, I felt that they have thrown Laboki in some long stretches. And I think their philosophy is let's take the bird in the hand because you do see in college baseball, uh, MLB 9-2 nine, nine is out of hand in the seventh. In college, uh, it's not as much. And so I get what Tim was trying to do. Although I would say they've got so many arms that, you know, you have a quick hook if you're having a problem to go to the next guy, then you bring a Laboki in. But I felt like those were the things I questioned maybe was the use of those two guys a little bit. And I have a feeling you might see some movement with both those kids, um, either starting games or, or throwing maybe in more high leverage spots. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, you and I have talked about this. I mean, I think it's probably – I'm not running the staff, so it's it's not my call. I'm not in the bullpen sessions, uh, but it makes most sense, I would think, for probably an Ethan Smith to get a potential nod. He got the win over the weekend. He, he's coming off a, a game in which he threw really well, and he's been around the program. Uh, he would be the natural guy that, that would step in there. But as we've talked about, Sunday's kind of a grab-all day. You've got, you know, some kids who are, who are filling roles, uh, you know, throwing one and two innings here and there. I like the way uh, McIlvain's pitching as well. He seems very confident. Good sharp breaking ball. He threw some, he threw some twelve six curveballs the other night that were just bottom dropped out of it. So I think he's got a good frame, mind frame going. So yeah, it, it's it, it's a good problem to have when when you're sitting here and you're trying to punch holes in a twenty three and three record. Uh, you know, my my big thing is. Who, as a Vanderbilt fan, is someone, if you're really going to get technical, if you're really going to get technical uh, here uh, after nine SEC games and after 26 games overall, who do you feel comfortable with playing in a regional, uh, you know, a game, a Sunday, most of them are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So a Sunday afternoon or night game against a team, let's just presume you win the first two. Of course, that's ridiculous to do so but for these purposes this you know let's say it you win the first two games because we're spoiled right we got lighter and rocker but 
who on this staff are you are you comfortable with giving the ball in that third game of a regional? And I don't know. I don't. You know. I don't. You're going to be coming off a team that's won an elimination game before, and there's different strategies. You've heard people philosophies talking about how the advantages to that team who's been playing and they've not been sitting around all day. But it's still, you know, after nine SEC games, we've we've said this before. This is where some pitchers in the past and past teams that won national championships have been discovered in week four and five of the season, and they end up being that guy that I'm talking about. But uh, I don't know if they have a beat on who that person would be, and that's okay. I mean, it's it's not like we're – this team is, you know, uh, 18 and eight after, you know, or, or they're, you know, ab, you know, much less than that, where they got to figure that out. Those things usually work themselves out, but I would say that would be the glaring thing about, uh, just an uneasiness is it may be the word is who would be that, that person to pitch that third game of a regional if you got there. Yeah. And my answer to that, I think I'd go tandem with Laboki and Ethan Smith. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I and mean, that that would make sense. And and Sundays, a, Sundays, a, pretty much around the league, across the the entire Southeastern Conference is a tandem type. Sunday's a tandem type day anyway. And I'm a little nervous about that, but frankly, a little less nervous than I was a couple of days ago. I thought Chris McElvain, and it's UT Martin, right? So who knows? But I thought he showed really good command of of his stuff. Uh, he's got good velo. He was a guy that sometimes their opinions of players are ahead of what we see on the field. Um, we've talked about that with some of the hitters. Uh, you know, C.J. Rodriguez was one like, I just don't see what they're seeing, uh, and, and now we see it, right? McIlvain might be that guy as the pitcher who can give you two or three innings, and maybe you can count on him to, to be pretty effective. And so I think if McIlvain... And, and maybe Miles Garrett's that guy too. Who knows? It just seems like they've got some secondary pieces that might be falling in there to where you can hold those guys back for a game three situation. Yeah, and, and looking at you know Miles Garrett, uh, I was a little surprised by Coach Corbin's press conference. Not a you know, but it's the truth. You're really going to get that from Tim when he, he he says you know he's a kid. You know he's he's just he's a kid, Miles Garrett. I mean he, he's 17 years old, and there was some. He was, he was, I think, bluntly asked if he was going to be the third game starter, if that was going to be in consideration for this weekend or coming weekends, and he emphatically just said no. He's not ready. And and that's okay. Uh, I, I, but they're, they're continually throwing him out there. I mean, once again, that's where Mason Hickman was discovered. And how many people were in Omaha or watching it on TV? I myself was there when I was – confident as can be when I walked into uh, that stadium on game three and you had a guy Mason Hickman on the mound I mean a guy who had done as well I mean that that's what I'm talking about that there was not any uh, there was no uneasiness I had in walking into the park when we're playing Michigan in game three of the champ you know for the national championship uh, because of what he had proven Uh, that that kid was a stud and had worked his way into that role but bluntly um, they're throwing Christian Little out there to get the experience. He's young. He's given up some home runs that, you know, by by displacement or uh, whether he's tipping things off or whatever. But, you know, you look at his score line. I mean, he struck out five and four innings, but he also walked. He walked two, gave up three Ernie's. One of them was a a home run. So they're going to still throw him out there. And I still think they have the confidence. But 
they know what they're doing with him. They're, it's kind of uh, trial by fire. They're trying to get him out there and, and as much experience as possible. Yeah, and I think the question was about Little uh, that he was asked on Tuesday. But here's what I'm thinking on weekday starts. Riley and Miles Garrett might be a pretty good combo to, to tag team the, the first maybe five, six, seven innings of that one. Yeah, I, I would see that. Uh, and, and excuse me if I got the pitchers mixed up. I see what is it, the, the Little and Garrett. I'm sorry. P- apologize for that. But, yeah, it, it's going to be um, – I don't know. They're going to play things pretty close to the vest here uh, and by not announcing it. And, why, you know, hey, why do it? Why, why, uh, why, why have to announce who your third game starter is? They might have to see what how many pitchers they use against Georgia this weekend in the first two games. So, um, you know, it, it's um, you look at other teams in the conference and they're doing the same thing. Uh, we're just so spoiled because you have that one-two um, tandem that we have. That if you're trying to poke holes in something, I guess it's logical that you would do that uh, with this position we're talking about. This season of the podcast made possible by former Vanderbilt football player Jody Jones, DDS. Jody is trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. He provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Man, I've been to his office, and it is nice. Uh, He has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry. He provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile. Patients enjoy Dr. Jones and the attention they get from his team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years. He's dedicated to providing first-rate service for all his patients. He never compromises quality, so be confident. If you go, you'll get the highest level of care. Visit Dr. Jones for yourself. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, Suite D. Stop in, tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, the other guy just hanging around in the background, too, that we haven't mentioned is Hugh Fisher. True, true. And and you look at his numbers, uh, you know, I mean, he, he's only thrown six innings, so you wonder. I don't think if you, you throw a guy out there, Who's, who's been in six games and he's thrown six innings, I don't know how much the expectations for Hugh Fisher to come out there and give you any more than, you know, Schultz has been giving you. So uh, therein lies the issue, too. You got, a, you got a bunch of guys like this who who are up and down the roster uh, who, who are showing, you know, as far as appearances, their ERAs look great. They're in the ones and twos and threes, but their their innings are not up there to the point where you're going to get any four, five, six innings out of them anyway. I think Schultz is still a really useful part for them. In fact, maybe he takes the Laboki role because Schultz to me is pretty good around the first time of the order. I have not fact checked this, but it, when I've watched, I remember. I mean, South Carolina was that way. He what he retires like the first nine in order or something, and then the leadoff guy in the fourth gives up a home run. It seems like, to me, Schultz is pretty good the first time around the order and then just falls off a cliff the second time. Yeah, it's like he's 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 there for four or five, and that's about it. Like you said, two times through the order. And, and you know, you look at his numbers. I mean, he's taken two of the three losses that the team has had, and people will point at that. But he's also, you know, one of those was early on, you know, pre-conference. But... I still think Thomas Schultz is a very good pitcher. I don't think there's any time, you know, you, you, his his ERA is up there to 
third worst on the team, but I don't think there's anything to give up on him. It's just perhaps uh, the, the situation of giving someone else the ball in game three. You know, the other thing was interesting. They brought Hunter Owen into, what, a one-run game on Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, they did. And, and you know, that that's um, that's par for the course. And uh, we've talked about that in the past as far as what Tim Corbin's done. He's he's brought people in that, that in situations to see what they got in pressure situations and see if they can perform. And as a player, you have to appreciate that. It keeps everyone on the staff on their toes and – and, uh, you know, it, it, it enables them to stay fresh and stay motivated, and, and I don't mind it at all. The hitting, my goodness. Um, I haven't heard it, but I think that Kendall Rogers or Aaron Fitt mentioned on the D1 podcast this week that they've got four players who are legitimately in the mix on that side for player of the year. I guess it would be Keegan Thomas. Uh, young, and I don't know if he meant Bradfield or Gonzalez, but uh, good grief. I mean, the, the fact that we have confusion over who the four might be, too, uh, is, is pretty telling. And maybe C.J. Rodriguez works his way in that conversation, although I think he just probably hasn't played enough to belong there. But it's just crazy. They, they keep getting these guys hurt, and it just doesn't matter. Yeah, they, they've got some guys who really square up on the ball, and, and you saw that this past weekend in Baton Rouge, the way uh, they just basically had their way at times with the LSU staff, and and that's not something that the LSU fans... Uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who played at LSU in the early 70s, and older than me, but he used to live in Nashville, and he texted me, and he said, I've, I've never seen a team come into Baton Rouge and offensively play like Vanderbilt did. You know, there've been some teams on and off one game here or two games, but just for the series who had a command of what they were doing, how hard they hit the ball. You know, there, sure. There were some, there were some instances where the ball didn't leave the infield and, and Vanderbilt got a couple runs, but just the power number, powers that that guys like you know who you wouldn't expect from like cj rodriguez and what the weekend that jason gonzalez had um you know isaiah thomas didn't only play one game so he didn't really get to show off his what he's got but um that was um a pretty complete performance um for and and an eye-opening experience i know for a lot of lsu fans because that's a prideful team down there and boy they you know, when, when Ben McDonald's talking about it uh, like he did, he openly was just talking about it on the SEC broadcast. And, of course, he did the game three on sort of the SEC network for the LSU version of it. But talking about the unrest that's going on down there and people kind of shrugging their shoulders and wondering what's going on, that was uh, – they're in a hole down there. And uh, if they don't get out of it uh, pretty quick, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I've heard some different things about um, – you know, Maneri's situation as far as what he's going to do, that he might be kind of getting tired of the recruiting situation and might want to do some traveling with the family. And, and, and you know, he's been around a long time, and he's a prideful person. He played at LSU, and uh, he knows what the expectations. But it gets real hot down there in Baton Rouge when that team's not playing good baseball. Yeah, and 1-8, and, and eight, I don't think they care if it's Florida, Vandy, Mississippi State. They're not going to be happy with that. No, and uh, and and this league is, this league is extremely uh, unforgiving. And you know they got they got Kentucky this weekend, uh, in a three game set in Lexington, 
and they better get busy this weekend because if they don't and they start getting the double digits losses uh, as far as the loss column, uh, it, it's not going to uh, be well for uh, LSU. Are you ready for the mailbag? Sure. Let's, let's, let's go into the mailbag. Now let me find the mailbag. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the show all right, VU65 says this year's team is leading the SEC in pitching and offense. The potential of this team in postseason is very high. However, if you look at the starting pitchers post Kumar and Jack, this could be the biggest concern. Also, looking at the future, I don't see any superstar, surefire starting pitchers at this moment. What are your thoughts? Well, we've, we've sort of touched on that in the Game 3 starter. I think there's a lot of talent out there. It's just, it's like they talked about this on the broadcast, too. You, you, you When you've got such a uh, one-two punch with guys with sub-one ERAs and 14 combined wins like Leiter and Rocker, it is easy for the casual fan to punch holes in guys three through, what is it, 14 or so on the staff. But you even look at their numbers, and there's not anybody other than someone who's only pitched an inning, you know, to to sit there and say, well, this this guy's not adequate or not. So I think it's really unfair to do. Um, it's 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 unfair for a guy, you know, like a, we mentioned, a Thomas Schultz who has taken two of the three losses that the team has. But <clears throat> that Sunday game, and I've said it once, and I hope I just I'm sorry to be redundant is. It is really, really hard to do to go into a, a opposing team's ballpark and sweep a series. At, that's and they're pulling out every stop they can to make sure you don't do that. And, and people might say, "Well, why is that just so hard? What, what's winning one more game?" It's just the psychology of it, the pride of it, whatever stops the other opposing manager is going to do to try to to prevent that and 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 Thursday and Sunday games or the game three in in this case or so Saturday game it, it they're just so difficult to do it is so hard to sweep on the road so you know I think it's just um incredibly hard to sit here and say say with an affirmation that there's guys on here who's there's not a superstar stud Mason Hickman found his way to that part where he was in game three in Omaha last in two years ago, keep saying last year, um, where he was a beast and, and Vanderbilt won the national championship on his arm. So, you know, there's, there's some questions as far as who's it going to be. And then if you're worried about it, that it, after week number four, you don't know. Sure. But there's enough arms and talent there to get it done. It's just, you, you really want to, after this weekend and definitely the next have that person that's going to be your guy that is going to be the game three starter in the in the regional final or winner's bracket fi- the, the game three on the NCAA regional starter you want to kind of start having that into place and guys kind of have setbacks and what have along the way but you just got to keep the faith and and I, I think there's plenty of talent on this on this staff below lighter and rocker that just get overshadowed and I even heard on the radio broadcast on Sunday you know that 
these guys are prideful. You know, they know what who's in front of them. They know what the, the first two starters have done and the spotlights on them. And they want a part of that too. And I, and there's some guys who, when they get the ball, they know at this point they have an opportunity when they're pitching to prove themselves. And, and that's what I think whoever gets the ball on Sunday has got an opportunity to do that, whether it be Schultz again or someone else and, and to do that. And there's enough competition on that team and, guys who have internal engines and egos, and I don't mean ego in a bad way, but who, who want to be in that spot and are talented enough, talented enough to take it. Well, Vanderbilt fans look at this as this huge, massive problem, and it's, it's a Vanderbilt-specific thing, right? Because the fans have a, and I'm not jumping the fan base as case here, I'm just explaining it, they have a false sense of expectations because they look at rocker and lighter and, and anybody's going to look bad in the three spot compared to them. But the bigger point is I think everybody in the league has got this issue, right? It's not like, um, you know, maybe with the possible exception of like Louisville with Luke Smith a few years ago, it's not like everybody's got this dark horse shutdown number three uh, sitting out there in the wings. Most teams are in this spot and frankly, Vanity's bullpen what's left over on, on, game three is still going to be better than 90% or more of what's out there. Yeah. And I mean, it, the, you, you cannot uh, teach. I mean, you know, Christian little and miles Garrett have electric stuff. I mean, they have sec talented level stuff. They're just young. They're freshmen. They're, you know, so it's, it's not like that. I mean, these, some of these guys could have gone, you know, pro, I mean, little, especially being as young as he is, uh, could have could have signed out of high school and, and gone. So it's not it is very short sighted to sit there and say that there's not enough talent when you're again, this is it's like Alabama football, right? I mean, that's where we kind of are with Vanderbilt baseball. I mean, you, you know, you get the press conference and Saban's looking around and after they destroy someone and you got these media people who are or fans calling into the coaches show, you know, trying to poke holes through. It's, it's really difficult to do that. But on the on the side, if you really know baseball and you really really follow it, it's not a concern of mine. But it is something that it, if if you're looking at it from a distance, even to say, well, they need to get somebody, and it's good to have your rotation intact by either after this weekend or next. And and that's I think where we are. And and it's not a if if there were if we were worried with guys with seven and eight and nine ERAs and giving up bombs and walking people, that'd be one thing. It's just kind of sitting there and finding that Mason Hickman who step in from years past to find that Kumar rocker who, if you remember, uh, was not in his starting role until like weekend three or four. And then he came in and started, I think it was on a game three or it was a game two of a series. And then he never looked back and look where he is. So, uh, there's, there's plenty of, of, uh, guys who have the arms and the talent on that staff to step in, just finding the right one. Ann Arbor Door says, why do we have a non-conference game with Louisville every year since we seem to face him in the tournament every year anyway, and why is Tim so reluctant to schedule Michigan in the regular season? Well, the Louisville series has just been a tradition. They have the Battle of the Barrel. I think they still do that, and it's a team that's two and a half hours up the road. It's good for your strength of schedule. It's good to see a team late in the year like that um, and to, to with with the arms to do that. And I always think that you want to be tested, you know, if, if I am Tim, I'm kind of like, I wish we would play, you know, Arkansas this year, 
you know, you want to be tested. You're looking forward to playing Oxford and playing Ole Miss and Oxford. If you're really competitive and you think you're as good as you and you hope you are, although you're still young, you you're looking forward to going to Oxford and playing that in a hostile environment. It's because that's when it ultimately comes down to it, there's no difference, no matter what your record is at the end of the season. It's how you're going to perform in regionals and super regionals. That's all that matters. Nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers that Vanderbilt lost a series to Georgia in 2019. And I remember listening to that and, and really on one of the games just got pummeled. They don't remember that. They remember they won the national championship the last time these two teams played. So uh, that's why they do it. It's the competition, and if you're if you're good, you don't you don't back down to it. It's not a matter. Of, I know for years the people thought there was some conspiracy that Vanderbilt was always in the Louisville region. You know, they, those teams were always paired against one another, and it's, a lot of it has to do with the logistics and where they are. But I like the game. I like that they're playing it. Um, continue to play it. The Michigan series. I just, you know, I think he and Bockett are just too close. Chris, uh, there's there's no need to play that game. You know they played him early on last year, and, and Michigan won that game out west. But I, I think they like sharing ideas, I'm sure, and scouting reports. And it's just a game that the, he does not look forward to playing. I don't think he looked forward to playing it last year in the finals. It's just there's certain people that you'd rather not play. You can play others and um, and get get to what you want. How's Michigan doing, by the way, this year? I haven't, uh, I've, I've not. Oh, uh, they're top twenty-five. I'll, okay. I will. Uh, that's from memory. I'll, I'll pull this up while we're talking. But yeah, I mean, I I would say on Louisville. My question is, I wish they. Why don't they play them on a weekend series? I mean, I think I know. Uh, they're already thinking we're going to run the gauntlet in the SEC. Why add Louisville to that? Um, you could get stuck in one of those years like they were in twenty eighteen, where you you barely win enough games to get in the tournament. Uh, so there's that, uh, but for the fun aspect, I'd love to see that series. Uh, let me find Michigan here in the RPI because that's really what matters. Uh, the Big Ten's got that issue where they're only playing conference games, I think. So that's oh, really going to okay. screw things up. Yeah. Uh, Michigan yeah. 85 in the RPI, 13 and six overall. Okay. Well. You know, uh, that's uh, so they're they're they'll probably battle, and I don't know what their situation as far as a a tournament um, is concerned if they're going to have one or not. I just uh, you know I just want to see Luke Smith pitch against Vanderbilt one more time. Uh, you know he's hung around and and seeing if there's any fireworks. Oh, that would be <laughs> but, so epic. So I don't I, the, I, he's I noticed he I looked him up the other day. You know, you've one of those YouTube feeds that. If you click on YouTube, I guess it's stuff you've looked at. You know the old algorithm and the video. That video showed showed up. So Luke Smith is still around. Uh, if you're uh, new to or this, who don't remember, he's the uh, pitcher for Louisville who had the blow up and in, in the College World Series two years ago. And um, Luke has changed his hairstyle once again. He is now sporting. He's uh, he's sporting longer hair. Uh, uh, he's got a flow going out of his hat. He's no longer has the blonde. So interesting. Uh, yeah. So we'll have to see. He's got some by uh, some glasses he wears too. So I would I would I wish that game were here. Uh, is it here or in Louisville? Uh, I believe it's there. Okay. Well, too bad. But too bad I'm indeed. Sure. Yeah. So if Corbin were to step aside today, do you think Backage is the guy who replaces him? 
you know, I had a, I had, it's funny you ask, uh, on a text chain I have with some former players and we talked about that. And, um, you know, you wonder if it's a Roy Williams situation where he basically, Tim, I think they would definitely listen to him. Oh, I, I'd be astonished if they didn't listen to him. And yeah. by the way, this this is not to just so nobody reads anything into this. No, no, no. I have zero point zero percent reason to believe this would happen. But these are the things everybody always wants to know, right? Because every once in a blue moon, you see a coach that will step aside out of the blue. So anyway, you've got Holiday. You've got you, you know you, you've got some guys also on his coaching tree uh, who are. Some would say, you know, is Mike Baxter somebody on the staff now? Uh, and you, of course, there's the Bakich, uh, Bakich. And they were so close for so long. And during those fundamental years um, of being here together when the program was just ramping up. And I really like Eric. I, I, I would, I would uh, absolutely, um, if, they, if that day came, and, and um, that would, I would have no problem. But there's a lot of guys who have who are under his tree right now that have and that might be something to look at one day i might do that where are these guys you know who played under corbin or coached under corbin where are they now and sort of what you see some people do with you know the the belichick tree or whatever i know you've got um you know you've got um some smaller schools that are being coached by former players and but it, you know there, there's guys out there who would get the nod but i would think tim would definitely have um, his fingerprints all over that, and I wouldn't be too worried about it. I know it would be somebody who's – I mean, it's it's a top five job in the country, and so there, there's going to be – there would be a long list of folks who would who would be wanting that job. Well, as of a couple of years ago, I don't know if this has changed. I think Travis Jewett at Tulane would have been an Jewett, option too. Right. I think, I think I'd go with Backage, but Holiday's got a pretty good argument too, and I love both those guys, by the way. Yeah, and then you've got guys on his staff who've been with him, you know, too. And you've got, you know, there's the younger guys, too. Rucker Taylor is at Davidson. He's doing really well. He picked up a, a victory against South Carolina. Uh, you know, so you've got guys even below that. But uh, I think it, it would attract and, and probably be a guy who who could step right in. What you'd want in that situation is a guy who'd step right in and not miss a beat and who would have the respect of uh, – because if you look at, I mean, look how – the teams were so similar. They even talked about on the broadcast last year how they lined up on the first and third base lines for the national anthem. How they, you know, just there's there was so much that rubbed off on Eric that Eric also probably rubbed off on Tim. That would be similar. So that that would be the easiest phone call. You you would have to call him and ask him and, and make him say, you know, I'm not interested, and start with him. But I don't think that's anything we need to worry about for a while. Uh, especially with, you know, the, I think, I don't know this firsthand, but it, it only helps uh, the situation with Tim Corbin when the school decides they're going to spend that much money that they're going to spend on facilities. And I think you'll probably see some baseball things happen as a result of that, hopefully, and some amenities that can be added. Of course, I've got, and this is a whole nother podcast, I've got friends of mine who think they need to tear the stadium down and uh, move it over where the parking lots, the med center parking lots, because of just, you know, make the football building right there where the baseball field ends. But, but goodness, Chris, I mean, the money they just spent on that facility for where the offices are and the hitting cages, that would just seem like to be such a waste. That seems like that should have been a decision that was made 
four or five years ago. Oh, so. I, I love the setup. What I would do is I would put a deck over the press box and over the grandstands, uh, for one, to give you more seating, two, to take care of the sun beating down on some of the people below. Uh, that's what yeah. I would do. I think the stadium looks great. The backdrop is beautiful. That facility behind there is fantastic. I don't know why you would really change that. I would just make some modifications. And I think what you'll eventually see is I think you'll see a suite on that end of the football stadium that's kind of glassed where you can do it dual purpose, use it for football and baseball. I think that would be a nice touch too. Yeah, and and, and I think uh, I heard an interview Tim did. It was on uh, – someone actually posted it on your board. It was a interview that he did during the pandemic, uh, you know, like in October – and he talked about his facility, and you know he admits in 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 his comment, it is not the nicest facility in the in the country. Uh, and one would argue, you know, why doesn't a team that's been that's won you know two national titles in the last what six years or seven, not have a glistening stadium that's state of the art? But I think it's everything he needs. I don't think there's he recognizes that Nashville's a big city. I don't think Nash Vanderbilt might. I don't know. It's hard to say if we'd ever get eight to 10,000 fans at a game with all that's going on in Nashville. But his comment that struck a chord with me was that, and just sort of this blueprint that you're seeing with Clark Lee is they have state-of-the-art things for the players as far as what's going to make them better, you know, what's going to make them, and that's kind of the blueprint that Clark Lee is doing the locker room first and doing weight room first and you know this these when you walk into Vanderbilt facility you might say to yourself well god this is only 2900 seats and it's crammed in here and whatever it's got a lot of aluminum seats and it's a bunch of clanging around well yeah but the players have a hitting lab a pitching lab a pro a pro room for their former players they have uh more ample cages than they ever would have they have state-of-the-art technology analyzing performance and nutrition and all those things which ultimately makes the players better for their college careers but their pro careers so you're taking care of the player first and if that's what it takes then you know the worst thing is to have a 10,000 seat stadium and you're not filling it up the best thing is after a pandemic is that you're filling that thing up and I think that'll that would happen if we weren't in what we're in now all right, let's blow through the rest of the mailbag quickly because I think you've got about five minutes. Um, View Perry asked one about Sunday pitching. I think we hit that one already. Joseph Weider wants to know if there's an update on Tate Colwick and players who are still nursing or recovering from injuries. He mentions Cooper Davis, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Doolin, and Jones. I assume that's Spencer Jones. To me, hit that quickly. He talked about Colwick. I asked him about that Tuesday. Tate had been taking fielding practice. He said that's still going to be a while. Thomas, they're just not sure. He's got a groin pull. And those are things that you might have to wait a couple weeks on. Yeah. You you can think you're well, and then you find out quickly you're not. Doolin, I believe, has had Tommy John surgery when he's done for the year. Have you heard the same? Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. And Jones, I guess that just relates to the feeling into things. I feel like I heard something about that, but I can't remember what it was. Do you? Yeah, groin injuries are things that you don't mess with and because it could really set you back. Uh, and and they're just going to have to be patient uh, with Thomas because it, it, could, it could set you back. If you come back too early, it could uh, really mess you up. And they don't want to do that. They have the luxury of doing that. 
And, you know, I wasn't too sure. I mean, Davis was his a leg as well. Is that what you heard? That uh, what you- that's what they said, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, the leg injuries in baseball can be, uh, you got to watch those. Uh, you got to really be careful because once again, it could, it could shut you down and, and, um, really, you know, and Colwick, the handmade bone. I mean, I, don't, I think I heard that he's not even he's not to the point where he can either grip a bat and turn it over without feeling any pain. And you don't want to do that and, and come back too early because I think we said it was going to be five, six weeks on average on something like that and possibly longer. So you want to make sure you're not you're not going into a situation. Where you need to hope for him maybe the last week or two to come back. I, I think that's just being realistic. All right, I want to throw you a crazy 30-second what-if. Let's say tonight Davis is out and Thomas is out. You'll see Bouldron left Bradfield in center, and I would guess either Hogan or Leneve in right. What if one of those guys jumps up and has like a three-home run series out of the blue? Because you know they got kids on the bench who can hit, but we just don't have the chance to see it. Well, they do, and that's the depth that you have. Uh, but I, I think once those guys, I think they're pretty much set on the lineup when, once these guys come back. Oh, yeah, I do too. I don't I don't think that they're going to bench Tom. Thomas was hitting really well. Davis was not, but I think that's one of those, we know what he can do, and, and he's that fourth-year guy that is, you know, sat for other guys and earned his dues. But I just think that would just be fascinating if all of a sudden we've ha- talked about these options. What if one more guy pops up that hasn't even been talked about? Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. That's why you have top two, three, four recruiting classes of the country. And, the, the you know, a lot of times those numbers don't lie. So there's guys sitting in the wings waiting and, and um, you know, they're, they're waiting their turn and, and, and seeing if they get an opportunity. But I, it would not surprise me at all if somebody jumped up. And, you know, I hate it for Cooper Davis. I, I, he's just struggled. I mean, first at bat of the season. And you can, you don't know if it's the cage on the mask that's bothering him or what. But, you really, for that guy, uh, as much success as this team is having in the in the win win column, you want to see him, you know, uh, really improve and and you know get the cage off at so some point, get his leg healed where he can he can uh, improve his numbers because I hate it for a guy being a, a veteran like that and and I and I think he's a good enough player. He's just going to have to battle through it. Bobby two times asked, where does Vanderbilt's batting lineup rank nationally compared to the rest of the NCAA, and where would you rank it among all-time Vanderbilt lineups? The second one, I think it's premature. Uh, To the first, I've got some facts in front of you. This is according to Warren Nolan. Offensive runs per game. Vanderbilt is 10th at Uh, 8.3. Texas Tech also at 8.3 at 9, but I guess Tech wins the decimal points there. Western Carolina tops at 9.3. Some of these teams in front of Vanderbilt, Western Carolina, San Diego State, Jackson State, Southern Illinois, Old Dominion, UMBC, uh, have not played the schedules they have. So, I mean, I would say right now it's a top five offense in America probably. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, it's it's hard to – and they're just so dead gum young. I mean, you, you, this is really still a young team. I mean, that's what's crazy about it. You know, it, it's uh, – it, it, for being 23 and three, it's still as far as games played against other teams comparatively in the conference, it's still a really, really young team. Uh, and that's what amazes me. As far as all time teams, Vanderbilt, I, I don't know if you remember the era, and I don't know why this continually comes back to me, but that team with like Warner Jones, 
it, it was it was his era. It was like Warner Jones senior junior year when they went to Charlottesville, won that region. We're going back, goodness, 17, 16 years. But that team had a lot of pop. Uh, who was that? It was Cesar. It was. Uh, they had Nicholas Jones. Nicholas. Baxter was on that team, but he hadn't right. become full on Mike Baxter yet. Uh, Warner like the top four or five of their lineup were really good, but there was like this massive drop off between like five and six. Like yeah, six, was, seven, eight, nine, they weren't very good, but the top was good enough to carry them. And of course, they had really good pitching. They had a had a really good top six or seven guys to include the rotation. I mean, that team wasn't nearly as deep as his teams have been recently, but the the top half of that lineup was really good. Antoine Richardson uh, was on that team right. too, who made the majors right. eventually. Right. Well, that's it's it's hard to compare. Will it really at this point? It might be something to step back, but it's in after a year. But at this point of the season, it uh, the number numbers are mind boggling a little bit. And some people are going to argue that you know this team has not yet gone to Oxford. They have not. They will not be going to Fayetteville. They have not played. Obviously, you know the juries. I mean, I think Tennessee is a very good team. Uh, we'll see what they do. I mean, UT's got a gauntlet to run through here in the next nine games. And uh, uh, I think they're talented, and I think they'll probably host a regional. But, uh, the, you know, so there, some are, if you again, trying to poke holes, I've said that three or four times, you know, has Vanderbilt, um, you know, they haven't played Mississippi State. They haven't, you know, there's been, there's been Missouri. There, you know, who knew that LSU was going to be down like this at this point? Uh, you've got Georgia coming in, which hasn't won a series all year, and and they're trying to do that. So, but it, things will heat up here for a lot of teams, including Vanderbilt, for the, uh, to see here in the next four or five weekends, and there'll be some tests that um, uh, will definitely uh, light up the schedule and be ones to watch. As far as compared to other lineups, again, we'll make that determination after the season's over. But I think 2019, the best they ever had, uh, and I think that's clear. I would go next 2011 and then 2007. I'd have to look at it, but I'd be surprised if I changed my mind on that order. And we'll see where this one fits. This one may be in that discussion by the time we're done, but the the best part of the schedule is ahead, and I think that's really going to make the determination. So, Chip, I know you need to run, uh, but I want to give you a minute to talk about your real estate business as we close the podcast. Sure, I'll just be real quick about it. Our real estate company, Frederick and Clark Realty, we're all the, the principal owners, uh, the three of us, all Vanderbilt graduates, Vanderbilt supporters, support the athletic department. So we are in this uh, with all your listeners as far as the passion is Vanderbilt sports. So if you need a real estate professional in this market, which is highly advisable, I know there's a lot of outlets out there right now and on the internet to look at homes and make decisions and sell your house by yourself or uh, you just need to give us a call and look at our website and look at our agents. We have over 180 agents. Call me personally and I will hook you up with someone to either sell your house or help you on your home search to buy. It's a very difficult market right now is to maneuver and you've got to be have the support and the knowledge and the professionalism and the techniques to do that. So we recommend that you just give me a call. Happy to run you through the uh, kind of the uh, roadmap as far as what you want to do if you want to buy or sell a house in this in this real estate market that is highly competitive. Competitive, you can find us at frederickandclark.com on the web, and you can find me at 615-327-4800. Again, we've been in business in Middle Tennessee for over goodness, it's now been 60 years, and we'd love to help you in your home search or uh, or selling your home. 
All right. Thanks, Chip. Take care, Chris. Have a good weekend. All right. We'll be back with you next week. We will have one and probably two more podcasts to drop before the end of the week. So be sure and look for your Apple nose. Anyway, I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Uh, and we will check you out again with a new episode again, I think, coming very soon.